0: Those of you uh, who are here, thank you for being here. I know the weather has not cooperated this morning as well. For those of you who are online who could have been here, but you looked outside and you said, you know what, I think I'm gonna watch from home. You're a sissy. That's all I gotta say. You better suck it up, man. This is just the beginning. (laughs) I am excited that you are here. Uh, What if I told you that there was a secret ingredient that most people don't think of, When it comes to your mental health, when it comes to internal peace, when it comes to contentment, when it comes to uh, purpose, meaning, and fulfillment in your life, and it's something that will actually help your marriage and other relationships. What if I told you that was true? Most of you would be like, infomercial, not true. I get it. But I want to prove to you today, if you just hang with me that it's a secret ingredient that most of us would not associate with that, and it's the secret ingredient that will give us what's called the generous life. And I'm specifically referring to financial generosity. Now, this is where some of you are like, oh, come on, Dan. Okay, let's not talk about the church for just a second. I want you to look at our modern-day research from people outside the church because they make the case for me. Go ahead and look at some of these quotes based on some research that's been done. Uh, Dr. Lauren Alloy, professor of psychology at Harvard University, says generosity activates the reward system in the brain, releasing dopamine and other neurotransmitters that promote feelings of pleasure and satisfaction. Uh, How about Dr. Elizabeth Dunn, psychology at the University of British Columbia. Charitable giving not only makes the world a better place, but also positively impacts the giver's mental health. People who donate money to causes they care about experience increased feelings of happiness and life satisfaction. Let's do a couple more. Uh, This is Dr. Adam Grant, you know, from the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. Financial generosity has been linked to the increased feelings of purpose and meaning in life. Giving money to others can provide a sense of direction and fulfillment. Or how about Dr. Stephen Post, At Stonebrook University, the act of giving financially is associated with a helper's high, a surge of endorphins that brings about a positive emotional state. This emotional boost can lead to improved overall well-being. And if that weren't enough, how about my friend Billy Graham, who said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every area in his or her life. And I could give you dozens more And we we haven't talked anything about the Bible. What's really cool is I love it when our society actually catches up with the Bible, right? Because the Bible's been talking about for a long time, but all of these people, none of which are Christians, have recognized that there is an association with our health physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and one of the links is by our financial giving. Now, because we are a smart American society and we have such smart American people leading us, then you and I would think that as an American society, we obviously have got to be incredibly generous. Did you know that in 2022, Americans gave 1.7% of their income to charity? Americans. Now, you might say, well, Dan, that's charity. Okay, let me go one step further. Two to 3% in any giving, okay? Two to 3% is what Americans in general. Well, Dan, obviously, Christian Americans, we get it. If we're following Jesus, you understand the importance and the tie into all this. In 2022, American Christians gave an average of 2.5% of their income away, which means there literally is no statistical difference whether you're a follower of Jesus or not when it comes to financial giving, and yet financial giving has been proven by those who are not Christians as well as God that it actually is beneficial for you. And so what stops us? Why wouldn't we be people who are just more generous with our finances? Well, let me give you a few of them, but what's fascinating is that even though this is a subject that the majority of us struggle with the most, It is usually usually the subject we usually want to hear least from God. In fact, as I began this sermon, some of you already are beginning to squirm. Like, really? (laughs) Pastor, talking about money, I would rather want you to talk about anything else but to talk about money. But here's the reality. I love you, I'm actually going to talk about it. Because Jesus spoke about money and possessions more than any other topic except one which was the kingdom of God. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic gospels, one in every six verses talks about money and possessions. You know, Jesus had 38 parables, 38 stories, 16 of which talk about money and possessions. Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than faith and love combined. And so if you ever go to a church where they don't talk about money and possessions, run. Because it's not a church that's talking about the things that Jesus talks about. And I get it. Many pastors and many people feel weird because you're like, oh, it feels like I'm I'm just wanting something from you. And they're like, yeah, that's all, the church just wants my money. I need you to trust that I actually want something for you. And that God actually wants something for you And that this might be the most important message for your well-being of any message we're going to talk about this entire past year. And so why? Why would Jesus talk more about money and possessions than any other topic? Uh, One of the commandments, the greatest commandment that gets spouted is is Jesus says we've got to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you've given yourself over to Jesus, you're like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm loving you with my soul. Many of you are incredible at loving Jesus with your strength. That's your time and your talents. You're, you're using the strengths, the gifts, the abilities that God has given. Others of you have given Jesus your mind where you just like look at the scriptures, you love the scriptures, you just kind of dive in, you go deeper and deeper. You can spout so many things even more than I could spout on a regular basis because you love the Lord with your mind. But many of us, are having a hard time with our heart. See, the Greek word for heart is kardia, and that's what it means to be the source of your life, everything about you. The heart represents where your devotion and your desires are. So what competes for your heart? The number one competition for our heart is money and resources. That's just true. Here's the way Jesus says it. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So Jesus says the number one indicator of where our heart is, is where we put our treasures. Now, a lot of us think that where our hearts are, that's what we're giving our money toward. But that's not what Jesus says. Now, I've used this so many times, but it still hits home. And that is, we think heart and the money follows. What you love, you will actually give to. That's true, but you know what's also true? is actually what Jesus is saying. Where your treasure is, your heart follows. So giving financially, you will see your desire and care for that in which you give go tenfold because our hearts are directly linked to where we put our resources. Let me remind you how this works. Uh, you usually don't care, many of you usually don't care about your car until you get a newer one. Now, it doesn't have to be a brand new one, just a newer car. And all of a sudden, you see that car everywhere you look and you like to really take care of the car, at least till you get that first ding or that kid spills that first soda in the car. You know, then all of a sudden, the, 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 the love kind of goes down. But it's because it's a resource and you're giving financially to it, your care, your heart gets more attached because your resources are involved, okay? How about a home project? Ever done one of those recently? A renovation of sorts? You know how much your heart is occupied by that? I mean, you spend so much time in Hobby Lobby and Home Depot, and you just keep thinking about, what can we do here? If you bought a new house, how can we decorate it? How can we make it look like this? Because your heart now is way more involved. Uh, For some of you, you invest in the stock market. And as soon as you invest in something, in the stock market, you recognize how often you check the stock market. I'll give you an example. I'm not usually one with the stock market, but I had a little fun a few years ago. uh, with This Robinhood app thing that just allowed me just to throw a few dollars in, and something called Bitcoin was going crazy. I'm like, well, that seems fun. So I put like $50 into Bitcoin. But what was weird is I would check it every single day. I was like, why do I care about something that really is not gonna make that much of a difference, especially the amount that I'm putting in, every day till I realized, oh, this principle is actually kind of true. Okay, let me go a couple steps further. Uh, how many of you love your pets? Raise your hand. You love your cats? I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. Shouldn't be this. Now, I know why you love your pets so much. I love the you spend, spend time with them, but also, one of the reasons you love is because you are financially invested. You are. It costs a lot to have that animal. It costs a lot to ha- continue to feed that animal, to take care of the shots and all that kind of stuff. I've got two dogs, and I'm like, if one were to go, I'm like, okay, go be with Jesus, because financially, <laughs> it, would, it would help us. You know, in the house, that's a nine, I don't know why they said that. That, just, that was 9.30 only. You're welcome. Uh, even more so, how about those little rugrats? All right, those blood suckers. Oh yeah, she says she's happy. She's not when she looks at her wallet. You know, because you obviously love this child just because they're very very existent. I totally get that. But also you are financially invested and your love is connected to that as well. Let's go back just a few years as one more example. For those of you uh, who are in the dating scene or just remember those of you when you used to date someone, did you ever date someone who uh, said they loved you but uh, they were really stingy with their money, right? You're like, you're like, yo, you know I love you, baby. You know, you know, you know I love you. But then they never gave financially. You realized after you broke up, they didn't love you. There was not a love that was there, and it was tied because they were so tight-fisted with the resources in which they were trying to be in this dating relationship. Now, I can only say it as clear as I can, and this one's going to hit a little bit but it's absolutely true. God will never have first place in our hearts until he is first place in our finances. God will never have first place in our hearts until he has first places in our finances. Some of you feel distant from God right now because God doesn't have your heart and he doesn't have your heart because he isn't first in your finances. This is what God has to say. Allow me to challenge you just to even a little bit more. If you're not financially putting God first in your financial resources, then there is something lacking in your spiritual health and it will be a barrier to your spiritual growth. It just will. The Bible keeps saying it all the time. The main competitor for our service of God, God says you cannot serve both God and money. He's not saying money's bad. He just knows that he needs to be first place when it comes to those resources. So how do we change that? Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 tells us, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. And I know we don't live in an agricultural society, but he's just saying, put God first. Then your barns will be filled overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. So every time God gives you treasure, every time you get paid, you get a chance to give back to him. So here's the question we're going to answer today with the remaining time we have left. What does it look like to put God first in our resources? And, and, and I'm going to encourage you to try to identify. I'm going to give you four categories of where the Bible talks about our putting him first. And I want to see you, to, you to be able to measure that's where I'm at right now. And that's awesome. We want to celebrate that. And then I want to challenge you to say, is God calling you to go to the next step? to the next level. Because God doesn't need your money. He owns everything. You really think God's up there going, you know what, I need an extra 10 bucks this week. I need an extra $200,000 this week. No, he knows the competitor for our hearts. That's why he wants us to be putting him first. Okay, so here are the four categories that God talks about in his word. And celebrate where that may be for you. First is people are compassionate givers usually first. A compassionate giver is someone who sees a need, feels the compassion, and then gives to that need. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 17 says, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. And so your heart may be touched. It could be a friend, a relative, somebody at work, a neighbor. I mean, it's this time of year, Thanksgiving. It could be a homeless outreach where you're like, I see a need. My friend is going through cancer. There's somebody who's going through something. I wanna help financially help that person. And so you see the need and you try to meet that need. And that's awesome. In fact, every year we take a special offering at Christmas called Joy to the World. And many of you have given to that over the years. Hundreds of thousands of dollars come in because you see a need of widows uh, in Uganda. You see people who don't have clean water in different parts of the world. And you're like, I wanna meet that need. And so you're able to give. And let's celebrate that fact. Here's what's also interesting in the season of giving and generosity. Uh, I doubt this has ever happened, but imagine this. Your birthday's coming up. And it's your birthday and you invite all of these people And they all come. I mean, there are dozens of people that are at your birthday party. And every single one of them brings a gift for each other. Not one of them brings a gift for you. How weird and how awkward would that be for you as the birthday boy or girl? Yet, we do this every Christmas. Every Christmas, whose birthday is it? Yeah, the answer is Jesus. You can actually say it out loud. It is. The answer is Jesus. And he's 2,023 years old this year. And we have not bought a gift for him. Instead, we buy gifts for one another and we celebrate each other. And happy birthday, Jesus. And here, honey, here's a gift for you. Isn't that weird, just a little bit? So as a compassionate giver, here's what I would encourage you to do. Make sure you don't miss the present for Jesus. Well, how do I give a present to Jesus? Well, Matthew 25, Jesus says, whatever you've given unto the least of these, You've given unto me. Whenever you give to somebody in need, and if you do it in Jesus' name, you're literally giving it to Jesus. So find a way this year to be able to make sure as part of your Christmas buying that you're giving a gift to Jesus. Again, that's one of the reasons we have joy to the world. So that's the first category. And if that's you, wanna celebrate. If that's not you, maybe that's the first thing that God wants you to begin to do. Second way to put God first is this category, consistent giver. A consistent giver is someone who is consistent and regular in their giving. First Corinthians 16, verse two says, on the first day of the week, each of you should put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. So are you led to give on a regular basis? It's a fantastic step to go, instead of just the way your heart is led, to begin to start doing this and start giving and let your heart follow. So I would encourage people to say, pick a percentage. It's usually the easiest way to do it. Every time something comes in, you're gonna give two, three, four, five 5%, and you're like, I'm gonna give that, So as God is leading and directing, I would also encourage you to automate it. What we automate, we seem to value more. And so I would encourage you to be able to do that. So we've got a compassionate giver, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're a consistent giver. That's awesome. Now, this third layer is a five-letter word that sometimes we treat as a four-letter word, and it's called a tithe. Oh, everybody gets excited when we talk about the tithe. But the Bible talks more about a tithe than any of the other category besides the last one, which we'll get to in just a second. A tithing giver is someone who gives 10%. That's what a tithe means, is 10. 10% of everything they make. In Deuteronomy 14, 23, it says, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. It's an act of worship, and it's an act of faithfulness to our God. Now, when I was a kid, I went to something called Sunday school. Anybody else go to Sunday school? Okay, first and foremost, whoever's in charge of marketing back then, awful. As a kid, you don't want more school. I got five days of school, and I gotta go to Sunday school. I mean, at least make it Sunday joy time or something. Anyway, that's bygones. Okay, so back then, uh, my teacher would teach me this. I'm gonna, take, bring up, uh, I'm gonna give you 10 one dollar bills. So that's what we have. Now, I'm gonna show you how old I am. It was actually 10 dimes, uh, you know, inflation these days, though, but that was 10 dimes back then. So they, they would do this, and as, I remember as an elementary kid, they said, okay, this is what a tithe looks like, and they'd hand me these $10, and I'm like, oh. They said, this is mine? They said, yeah, that's all yours. I'm like, this is all mine? Yeah, and, and then the teacher would say, hey, but God is asking you to put him first, and so you're gonna take one of those dollars, and you're gonna give it to him, and then I sat back and waited, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I get to keep this, right? They're like, yeah. I'm like, this is a great deal. Are you kidding me? God has given me all of this, and all I have to do is take one of these and be able to put it here. And he said, like, Yeah. And some people ask, is, Does the order matter? It definitely matters. Because here's what we tend to do uh, I got to pay the mortgage, I got to pay the car bill, I got to pay my credit card, and oh, I have uh, something else. And, uh, and we're like, Oh, God, I guess you don't get paid this time. No, 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 first place, whether you're compassionate, consistent, or a tither means first, that he's the priority to be able to do. Now, those of you who are in college, those of you who are in high school, in middle school and elementary, please, I beg of you, learn this now. It is so much easier when you have less to see this idea of giving a tithe or a tenth to God on a regular basis. It is so much harder because here's the thing, those of you who are young, we get fooled with is that we think, well, once I accomplish my financial goals, once I get to a certain status, then I'll give. The problem is when it comes to the tithe, it actually gets less for a lot of people the more money we make because it's affecting our hearts a lot more. Let me actually show you how this looks. So if we were to do this, you're gonna be amazed by my math. We're gonna say, hey, you know what? Uh, you're gonna get $800. What would a tithe be on $800? $80. Okay, so you're like, wait, I can do that. $800, 80 bucks, I can do that. Well, what about if I'm making 8,000? So if it's $8,000, what's the tithe then? 800, ooh, that hits a little bit more in the heart, doesn't it? You're like, ooh, that's an Xbox right there. You know, that's, that's something I can get for myself. There's some nice clothes I can probably get and stuff like that. You start thinking about it. You're like, oh, that makes it a little more challenging. Well, what about when it becomes the average household giving in our region $80,000? Now it's eight grand. Whew, eight grand, that's vacation and then some. That's paying off the car. That's a down payment for a vehicle. There's a lot more things I can do with that And if God should lead, let's just have fun with this. $800,000, a tithe would be $80,000. Like, wow, that is an amazing amount of money. And what could you do with $80,000? Well, let's go one step further. How about $8 million? A tithe would be $800,000. You could pay off your house. You could pay off your mom's house, depending on when you all bought it. You know, you could pay off all these different kinds of things. You're like, man, imagine what I can do, which is why... As you make more, the temptation is to turn from a tither into a tipper. To be like, well, that's enough because it's a lot of money. And God says, no, 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 start it when you're young because it gets easier when you actually are making more to be able to say, God, I'm going to put you first when it comes to tithing. Now, where do we get this idea from? This This is not my idea. I'm not the one that came up with this. See, God was talking to his people, the nation of Israel. That's what we read in that Deuteronomy passage. And the nation of Israel, his children, were taking care of their own homes, taking care of their own selves. And God comes to him in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, and he tells them, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough root, root food in my temple. Notice what it says. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in, try it, put me to the test. The only time in all of the Bible where God actually says, test me in this, try it. He cares so much about our heart's connection with him that he wants us to even try it. And he gives us a promise. Here's the promise that he is saying. 90% with God goes further than 100% on my own. That's his promise, 90%. And if you talk to people, and I can line people up in our church and other places who could be like, that's true, that's true, that's true, that's true, that's true, do I trust that God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%? In fact, you've heard me say this before, I'm so confident in this, in what God wants to do in your life, that it's not about the money, it's about you entrusting yourself to him and trusting your heart, which is tied to your resources, which is why it's hard to let go, that we'll do a 90-day money-back guarantee. That means is try it for 90 days, and if it doesn't help you grow spiritually, if it doesn't produce some of the things we read at the very beginning about some of the peace, fulfillment, purpose, some of those things in your life, if it isn't one of those things, then after 90 days, we'll write a check back. That's how confident we are in what God is doing and how much he wants our hearts. Now, this is usually where some of you are sitting back, well, well Dan, <clears throat> I studied the Bible and I'm a New Testament Christian. And this is Old Testament stuff. Okay, uh, for those of you who are theologians, uh, those of you who are not, you can kind of put this to the side, but I'm only gonna have a brief second to walk into this. So we think that it's tied to the law, the Old Testament, and we don't wanna be law-driven, okay? Did you know in Genesis 14, Abraham has a conversation with a guy by the name of Melchizedek, And with this conversation with Melchizedek, we don't know where he's come from or who he is. We just know that he's more than just a king, that he's a prophet, he's a representative of God. And Abraham gives a tenth of all he has, he gives a tithe to Melchizedek. Stay with me. That was 400 years before the law and the institution of the tithe was actually introduced. Now go with me to the New Testament. In Hebrews, Melchizedek is referred as the type of Jesus Christ, that Jesus and Melchizedek have the same looks, the same representations, and many theologians believe that Melchizedek is actually a version of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, which if that is true, then the first tithing that took place was Abraham to Jesus. That's what it did to me. That was just something. Just like you can look at it and research it on their own. But let me just say it this way: If Jesus Himself were to walk on stage and say that I love you and I want to be first in your heart and in your life, and I'm not going to be able to be first unless you surrender your resources to me, would you do it? But then Jesus doesn't talk about the tithe. Actually, He does in two places in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. But let me just show you Matthew 23, verse 23 where he says, "What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now say this out loud with me. Ready, here we go. You should tithe, yes. Okay, that was really weak. Let's try it one more time. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is not saying that the tithe is more important than other things, but he is not also saying that we are now excused from being able to do that because if you read the rest of the New Testament, it was a general expectation that I could actually point to you case after case after case when it came to those who are following God. So let me be even more specific. Uh, Who do you think struggles more with tithing, men or women? I can tell you, for 25 years, of ministry, 95%, it's men. It has been men consistently, so the reason I say that as men, I wanna challenge you on this. You as men, and there may be some, some of this, this idea of the provision and that kind of stuff, that mindset or whatever it may be, but as men, I'm gonna ask you to lead, to lead yourself, to lead your family because God wants your heart and he wants you to entrust yourself to him. Now, some of you who are consistent tithers, you've been sitting back I know you. <laughs> get him, Dan. Yeah, it's about time. You know, get those lack of giving people. And you're sitting back going, yeah, yeah, this is such a good message for everybody else. <laughs> oh, contrary, mon frere. There is one more level. And actually, this is the level beyond the tithe that is actually most represented in the New Testament. It's called a generous giver. A generous giver is someone who gives above and beyond a tithe. When you think, well, I'm a generous giver and I give 3%, that is not generosity according to God's word. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 says, yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So we give an opportunity to give, and then we're like, oh man, I'm giving, and I'm consistently giving, and now I'm tithing, and then I have above and beyond opportunities as well. Luke six thirty eight: give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. If I give $10, I'm going to get $16. I'm going to say you're being enriched in every way. Why? Because he wants our hearts. And you know when we begin generous with our resources, what changes in our hearts, especially when we're giving to him. So are you led to give above and beyond, to tithe, beyond a tithe, which is called generous giving, to further God's kingdom? The way I've always told people this is you give to Christ by giving to his church, and then you give above and beyond generously. Now, this is where you say, gotcha, Dan. I told you it was about Valley Real Life get my money. No, if you think that for a second, then you find any one of Christ's church. Remember, it said Christ died for his church. He set up the church, the people of God. You find that church and you give to them. That's how serious I am about your heart, about entrusting yourself with what God actually has to say about this issue in our lives. Now, I know this isn't easy. I know this is challenging and this is wrestling. But here's what I can tell you has helped me. When it comes to resources, focusing on the generosity of God is what motivates me to give to him more freely. When I focus on the resources, it gets hard. When I focus on God, it gets a lot easier. And that I can promise you. Uh, Rick Warren said this, generosity is the language that God speaks to humanity. You realize that everything that you and I have been given belongs to God, everything. So, when I realized that, wow, everything that I have, everything that I am is actually a gift, the very breath that I breathe is a gift from God, it helps me to take focus off of the resources, to want to give resources, because I'm focusing on the the God who has it all. uh, Psalms 24, 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him, for He laid the earth's foundations and the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Secondly, God is the one. who gave me gifts and talents. Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Because we live in a society that says, no, I've earned this. I went to work for this. Yeah, who gave you the ability to earn resources in the first place? The Lord. So if I focus that, thank you, Lord, for giving me that ability, it gives it a lot easier for me to give to him generously. Thirdly, God gave me a son. Talk about a God who gives. John three sixteen. for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So as a response to God's love, I get the opportunity to give back to him. It's a privilege. In fact, 2 Corinthians, it says this. So I don't want you to miss this you know, as well. It says, remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Why? Because we're recognizing that God, you gave us everything and so it becomes a joy to give instead of a burden or a weight. But I understand the tension based on where we're at. And God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And it goes on to say, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and the bread to eat in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Why? Why does God wanna enrich us in every way? For ourselves? No, so that you can always be generous. God wants to use us and you know, allow, allow us to grow in him and then use us to impact the lives of those around us. What an opportunity. The reality is, we are always generous financially with those we love the most. That's just true. For some of us, let's be honest, the person we love the most is us. We always find the time, we always find the resources for the things that we care about, and sometimes the thing that we care about most is us. Now, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, it could be kids, it could be, you know, whatever it may be. And what God is trying to say is, am I in that list? Am I first in that list that's modeled and demonstrated by our financial generosity? Now, one quick important side note that I don't have a lot of time to go into is this. Many of us have a hard time giving because of financial mismanagement. We were never taught of what that looked like. Financial mismanagement, or even a lack of understanding, it's one of the biggest culprits to generous living. So a few resources I wanna encourage you to dive into. One of them, it just came out this last week, is from a guy in our church, actually it's Balin Strickler. Uh, Balin wrote a book called Fire Builder. Now, if you're like me and you don't like to read, this is your book. Because it literally has like all these big pictures and places to write and all this other kind of, you can get through this in 30 minutes or less. But the coolest part about this book is it walks through 21 different principles about what it means to give when you have a dollar, spend less than you make, uh, pay cash. What about insurance? Luxury once tasted becomes necessity. And these very short chapters, they're like, ooh, that one hits and you can go deeper with that. And so it's a great, great resource to be able to, you can purchase this on Amazon. It's something that you can have, but it'll be on our resource page as well. Secondly, those of you guys who wanna go deeper, Financial Peace University. We offer at least once a year. You can sign up right now. Uh, You know, it starts in January, you know, just after we go into debt these next six weeks, what a perfect time to kick off the new year, you know, and uh, understand why debt is a stronghold, you know, in our lives. And so we can walk through that, and it's worth the time, it's worth the resource. Uh, For other resources, you can go to our give page, vrl.church backslash give, and we're going to continually update this with things like these books, the treasure principles, different classes that we offer, so that you can actually say, yeah, that is another step because I want to learn how to manage God's resources that he has given to me. Here's the one thing I can tell you. Whether it be the treasure principle, whether it be Fire Builder, whether it be Dave Ramsey himself, which is contrary to what people think, the way out of debt, number one, first thing to do is actually to give financially. Even he says that. And so it's the key to unlocking this way and this purpose in our heart. And I know some of you'll say, but Dan, I do give generously. I give my time and I give my talents. And that, I wanna tell you, is fantastic. But God wants your heart, which is linked to your resources. If he wants your heart, then how will you put him first when it comes to the financial resources that he has placed in your care? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this challenge, Lord, that all of us are challenged by. We know that we get emotionally bothered by this because it's affecting our hearts. Father, there is a direct link. And so I pray, Father, for every person in here, every person who's watching online, that you would just allow us to see what this truly is. You don't need our resources, Lord. You want our hearts. You want us to trust you. You want us to grow in faith. You want us to continue to become more like you. And so thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the opportunity. I pray the conversations will continue as we walk out of this place, between husband and wife, between friends, life groups, neighbors. Father, even if it's just a text exchange, Father, that you would just continue. Let my words just fade away and let your word just remain. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.